Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to a new beginning. Tonight's class is titled True Happiness, Part 1. It's going to have uh, numerous, numerous classes on this discussion. I'd like to start off with the story of Rabbi Yonis and Ibshitz. Rabbi Yonis and Ibshitz, when he became older, he became rabbi, Yonis and Ibshitz. He's a big, a big Torah scholar and commentator on a wide array of areas. But when he was a child, it already, it already became known to the masses that there, there was a brilliant child here. And the king heard about it. And the king sent a message to his father that he'd like Yonasan to come meet him. He'd like to see his brilliance. But he'd like for Yonasan to have to figure out the way to the palace on his own. Part of the king's trick. He wants to see the, the child's brilliance. The instructions were he needs to be told to go to the king and figure out how to get there on his own. And lo and behold, he shows up. He comes to the king. So everyone's all excited. So the king says, "So well, how did he do it? How did he figure out where I am? He says, simple. I would ask everyone, where's the king's palace? And they pointed. It was, it was easy. So the king says, okay, but what happened when there was an argument between two people? Which direction to go? Child says, Yonason says, he says, also simple, I went after the majority. The Torah teaches us, you go after the majority. So if two people told me to go left and one right, I went left. So there's a big round of applause in the king's court. And then all of a sudden, the king becomes very serious. And he says, aha, okay. So you have to go after the majority. The majority of people are not Jews. In today's world, the majority at the time is are Christian. So the Torah itself is telling you to go after the majority, you should become Christian. Powerful question. A little child, brilliant answer. He turns to the king respectfully and he says, King, on the way here, I go after the majority to figure out how to get here. But when I'm in your presence, if you're going to tell me to go right, and everyone else tells me to go left, I'm going to follow your advice. Brilliant story. We're going to be talking about happiness. And I want to start off with two phrases, very strong phrases. Number one, Hasidim, this is a quote, Hasidim see depression like transgressing one of the mitzvahs. First quote. Depression is seen to a chassid, someone, someone who is meticulous in their service of God. Depression is seen like a serious avera, a serious transgression. Quote number one. Number two. Will you excuse me? I have to go to penance. <laughs> Number two, the source of all klipa, of all evil, comes from worry and depression. Quote. The source of all evil comes from worry and depression. So a chassid is always happy. One of the trademarks, chassidim were originally called the freilacha, the happy. That was the original trademark of a chassid was happy. Mm -hmm. And you'll see actually some Chabad centers, their logo is a dancing rabbi. Well, not out of nowhere, because a, a, a chassid 
has to const has to be happy. Why is it? And we're going to learn momentarily how the strongest person, if he's depressed, can easily be defeated. You have a you have a weak person who is optimistic. Optimistic, he's entering the fight full of hope, and you have a strong person entering the fight depressed. The weak can easily win. If we're happy, we'll have the ability to stay focused, stay strong, and overpower. Any questions before we begin inside? So until now we've been discussing how there's two methods of connecting with God. Until chapter number 1 through chapter 17 was discussing how you can create a love for God by contemplating on the greatness of God. Chapter 18 through 25 was teaching us how there's another method you could reveal the love for God. But now we're going to say that you could have revealed the love for God. You could have created a love. But if you are not happy, it won't help. We have to always be happy. In many letters, people would write to the Rebbe. Different sins, unfortunately, they may have done. And almost always the Rebbe said, there's a time, there is a time for repentance. There is a time, Yom Kippur. There are times. But outside of those specific times, you have to be happy. You have to be able to bring happiness to your life. Let's see this inside. We're holding pa page 112. Chapter 26, left-hand column. Again, chapter 26, on page 112, left-hand column. Truly, this is a strong word. Truly, Biram, truly. This should be made known as a klal gadol, a cardinal principle. There are very few times we learn of something as a klal gadol, a cardinal principle. Anyone know of a klal gadol, a cardinal principle in Judaism? I know of one. One of them is a famous quote from Rabbi Akiva. You should love your fellow as your, your fellow friend as yourself. Rabbi Akiva, Omer Rabbi Akiva says, This is a cardinal principle of Judaism. To love your fellow as your friend is a cardinal principle. Very few times we learn, right? Loving your fellow as your friend is so big. Though we know the famous story of Hillel. That Hillel told this man on one foot, the man said, Tell me the Torah on one foot. And Hillel said, No problem. What you hate, don't do to somebody else. That is the whole Torah on one foot. To love your fellow friend. That is equal, in a sense, equal is the need for joy. Truly, this should be made known as a cloud god, a cardinal principle. That as with, with a victory over physical obstacle, such as in the case of two individuals who are wrestling with each other, each other, each striving to throw the other. Two people are physically, they're having a, you're having a physical fight. If one is lazy and sluggish, he will easily be defeated and thrown, even though he be stronger than the other. You could have the strongest man in the world, but if he's just like the words say, lazy and sluggish. If he's not beat up and ready for this, he could easily lose. 
Exactly so, again, amazing wording, exactly so is it in the conquest of one's evil nature. It's exactly the same story. It is impossible to conquer with laziness and heaviness, which originate in sadness and in a heart that is dulled like a stone. How are you going to win over the evil inclination if you are sad, if you're down? Right, it's called a downward spiral. Unfortunately, sometimes we get into a bad place. And it's not that we, we, we stay where we are. We're, we're just going to go lower and lower, unfortunately. Because if we're down and out, well, the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, he's not tired. Right? He, he's ready. So how are we going to win the Yetzirah? How are we going to win the evil inclination? How is the good going to always prevail? But rather with alacrity. With intense energy. With, with excitement. And where does this excitement come? Which derives from joy. And from a heart that is free and cleansed from any trace of worry and sadness in the world. The wording here is, is, is just too, too much. How can someone be truly happy? From a heart that is free and cleansed from any trace of worry and sadness in the world. The slightest worry, the slightest sadness is enough to remove our inner strength. Now, I am certainly guilty of worry and sadness, etc. But that doesn't mean it's not possible. It is possible for someone to always find the good in everything. For someone to always be happy. And you know something? A happy person attracts. You know those people that are always happy? Everybody loves them. You love being around them. The opposite? We don't have to, we don't have to make any comments. But everyone loves to be around the happy person. Someone who's able to find the good in everything. But again, it's so strong. It's not only... It's, we're saying you have to, to truly succeed. You have to be free of any trace of worry. Like Baruch, right? Baruch is free of any trace of worry. I used to worry. I quit. <laughs> he quit worrying. <laughs> Tell us. I'm worried that I quit worrying. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where And we're going to discuss different methods of how to, how to remove worry. We're going to discuss different methods of seeing the good in everything. But first we have to start off with a technicality. The technicality is that there are times, seemingly, that being sad is a good thing. To quote from Psalm, we learn clearly, David HaMalach teaches us, that in every depression, in every sadness, there is gain. When someone is sad, there's always going to be gain if he's using the sadness appropriately. For example, for example, I'll give you an example. From the darkness comes light. Have you ever heard the... the Hasidus teaches us not from the darkness comes light, meaning if you're dark and you, 
in a very simple level, what does it mean from the darkness comes light? It means that if you're in a dark room and then you see light, you appreciate the light much more. You could see the power of the, of the light. That's the literal meaning. But we're going to lo look at it much deeper. Yisron ha'or min ha'choshech. We learn that there is a Yisron ha'or, there is a gain from light that comes from darkness, meaning if you're able to take the darkness and make it into light, that will make the greatest light. Let's say it again. Naturally, we, when we talk about light and dark, we say light is so great, but you'll be able to see its true greatness if you're locked up in a dark room, and all of a sudden you see light, you'll now appreciate its true, its true greatness. That's one method of understanding how darkness can lead you to appreciate light better. But there's another deeper level. If you're able to take the darkness and make it light, then it's going to shine even brighter. Are you taking a sad story and you're finding good in it? Or you're actually taking that and you're making it a good story? So seemingly, how could we say it's not good to be sad? Sadness is a good thing. If it's used appropriately, it will bring you to an even higher level that you couldn't have reached prior. So this contradicts what we said previously. We started off saying that Hasidim look at sadness like a, tr a transgression of one of the 613 mitzvahs. We started off saying that sadness is the source of all evil. And all of a sudden we're learning that no, sadness has good in it. How do the two go together? Let's see the question and answer inside. Let's continue. As for what is written, in every sadness there is prophet, is prophet sorry, it's not from Tilim, it's from Proverbs 14.23. In Bechal in every sadness there is prophet, meaning sadness can bring gain, which means that some profit and advantage would be derived from it. So all of a sudden, sadness seemingly has good to it. The phrase the phrase, on the contrary, indicates that sadness in itself has no virtue, except that some profit is derived and experienced from it. Let's look at the quote again. In every sadness there is gain. Not that the sadness brings gain. Sadness is not good. It's kind of like those experiences where you say, you were in a bad experience, but it brought you to a new level. Was the experience a good experience or was it a bad experience? Are you able to find some good in it? Yes. But should... <coughs> is that an experience that we want you to have? No. Sadness is not good. If you're experiencing sadness, now use it out wisely. There's a lot of good that can come from it. Namely, what could come from it? except that some profit is derived and experienced from it, namely the true joy in the Lord God, which follows from genuine anguish over one's sins at propitious moments with bitterness of soul and a broken heart. Yeah, yeah. If someone had sadness, they had a broken heart, that will now bring you to a whole new light in your love of God. But let's repeat. The sadness itself is not good. Sadness itself, depression itself is not good. 
But how does it bring, if someone is in a bad situation, how does it bring good? Let's see. Why, why would the sad, what is the quality that sadness has that it could bring you to a higher level? And what we're going to learn is, again, this is a fantastic, un- deeper understanding on a verse in Tehillim. We know that there's a custom of Tikkun Chatzot. Have you heard of the custom to stay awake at midnight? Not to stay awake, to wake up at midnight and cry over the destruction of the Holy Temple. Called Tikkun Chatzos, the institution of midnight. Today, and just to go back to that institution, again, it's uh, you, you wake up at midnight and you cry over the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. Today, we are told that there has been physical change in our bodies. We're not as strong as we used to be. For, to give you a phys- simple example, it used to be accustomed to fast a tremendous amount. In Tanya, we learn about a, a certain sin that you're supposed to fan eight, fast 83 times consecutive days, eating at night. Physically, our bodies have become weaker, and we don't have those capabilities. So therefore, just like we don't fast as much, similarly, we don't get up. It's, many people have the custom not to get up at midnight and do the Tikkun Chatzos, but in a small way, we say a spe- special prayers before we go to sleep. The Shema. In the Torah it says, you should say Shema when you're lying down and when you're getting up. When we get up, we say it in the Shachrat prayer, and when you lie down, before you go to sleep, again, there's a custom to say Shema. That Shema is not just a Shema prayer, there's a whole extensive prayer. And I'd like to spend a few minutes on it because it's one of the most incredible prayers out there. And if you haven't had the opportunity to, to spend time on it, I highly, I highly encourage you to do so. The prayer starts off with a forgiveness. The prayer starts off with a paragraph saying that I forgive anyone. Have you seen this paragraph? If you have not, I highly, I highly encourage you to look at it. Part of the bedtime Shema. I'm going to read it. I, I want to read it for you. It's so powerful. I'm really, I'm really into this, because then if my students get upset at me, I tell them, you forgave me last night. Uh, <laughs> it reads like this. God, Master of the Universe. Shema prayer before going to bed. I forgive anyone who angered or annoyed me throughout the day or sinned against me by hurting my body, making me lose money, insulting and taking away honor from me, or doing something bad to anything that belongs to me. I forgive anyone who did these things to me, regardless of whether it was done by accident, intentionally, by mistake, or on purpose. Whether it was done by speaking or by, or by doing an action in this lifetime or in another lifetime, when my soul was in another body. I forgive every Jewish person who may have done something wrong to me. No one should be punished because of what he did to me. May it be your will, Lord, my God, and the God of my fathers, that I should never sin again, and that I should never go back to sinning, and that I should never make you angry again or do anything that is wrong in your eyes. In your great mercy, erase whatever sins I have done, but please do not do this by making me suffer or have bad sicknesses. May the words of the prayers that come from my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. What what you'll see in this prayer fascinating is, before we ask God, not to punish us. We tell God, don't punish anyone. Don't punish anyone on my behalf, certainly. 
And like I'm, like I'm forgiving everyone else, please forgive me. So we continue, we say the Shema, and then the Arizal came and he told us that we should say, chapter two, we should say from the Tehillim, chapter 5119. He said, we should say chapter 51. What's the story of chapter 51? David HaMelech, King David had sinned and Hashem sent Nathan the prophet to rebuke him. And that's the way the chapter starts off. It says, Lam David. The following is a song that was composed by King David for the choir master. A song King David said for the Levim to sing in the Beis HaMikdash. And when did he compose this? He composed it when Nathan the prophet came to rebuke him. Shem had sent the prophet to rebuke David. David accepted the, accepted the rebuke. And, and ha, King David says, God, be gracious to me in keeping with your kindness. Erase my sins according to your great mercy. In this very... Yes, David. I, 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 we've had conversations about this. Um, so just we just remind us who the Arizal is and why he's important. To us. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. The Arizal was the founder of the the Kabbalah was was written by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, but the Arizal lived a few hundred years ago. He took the Kabbalah to a new level, and he revealed it. He said, at this point, it's a mitzvah to reveal it to the masses. Hmm. He really took it to a new level. And so comes the David HaMelech and he says some monumental words. What does he say in this chapter that we say before we go to sleep? He says, God, bring joy and gladness to my heart. But how are you going to bring that joy and gladness from my heart? If I have a broken... Lev Tahor. Have you heard this quote before? Lev Tahor Barali Yolokim. Create in me a pure heart. The Ruach Nachon Chadesh Bekirbi and place in front of and put inside of me a new spirit. David HaMalach says that if we're going to have a broken spirit, take this psalm. It was coming after King David had sinned. Broken, he, he, and he repented for it. If we're going to have a broken spirit, that will lead us to, to true joy and happiness. Let's quote that Pasuk again. Hashiva li sason yishecha. Which words was it again? Tashmiyeni sason v'simcha. Again, David HaMalach is saying, bring me true joy and happiness. And where did that true joy and happiness come? From the broken spirit. So now let's put it all together. Sadness, we said originally, is not good. But then we said sadness brings gain. Yes, and that's exactly what we're going to prove right now inside. Yes, sadness brings gain. But that gain comes from the broken spirit. Let's see that inside. If there's any questions, we'll take it after we see it inside. I could tell you the author Rebbe could explain a lot better than I can. Let's see his holy words. Page 112. We're in the middle 
of the right kahalim. For thereby, middle of the kahalim, it's the end of a line, for thereby the spirit of impurity and of the sitra achara is broken. When someone is sad, so then he's breaking the spirit of impurity as also the iron wall that separates him from his Father in heaven. If someone has sinned, God forbid, they could be creating this iron wall. But this sadness can break that iron wall. As is commented in the Zohar on the verse, a broken and a contrite heart, God, you will not disdain. The Zohar says that if someone has a broken heart, so the wall is not there anymore. God will always listen to him. Then will be fulfilled in him the preceding verses. Let me hear joy and gladness. Restore to me the joy of your deliverance and uphold within me a spirit Next word. of magnanimity. Magnanimity, I suspect. I can't see it here. Where magnanimity, correct. If we want to go ahead, and break the negative energy that's within us. Yeah, so then the sadness can do the trick. And this is a simple reason why the Arizal instituted the recital of this psalm after the midnight prayer, before commencing study, right before we're going to start learning, because, like I mentioned, the custom was you would wake up at midnight, say the special prayer on the destruction of the base of Milish, and then you would learn. You know, there are special yeshivas that they only start learning at midnight. They learn a whole night. It's interesting, the, we learn that there's a special energy of Hashem that comes to you when you learn at night. So I don't encourage you to, do, to stay up all night. I think, But it is interesting to note that there is a special energy for people that are learning. So after midnight is a very appropriate time and the Arizal said, before you're going to start that learning, say this psalm. Say this psalm 51. Why? In order to study with the true joy in God, with the true joy in God, which succeeds remorse. Having remorse can bring some good. Yeah, at the end of it, you're able to have true happiness. For such joy, joy that is coming out of sadness, has an excellence similar to that of a light emerging from the very darkness. As is written in the Zohar on the verse, and I saw that wisdom surpasses folly as the light surpasses darkness. Let's look at note number six on the bottom. The emphasis is on the word min literally from the darkness. The, the light is not, not that the darkness, the comparison of light to darkness shows you the greatness of light. No, no. Min from the darkness itself comes light. Note there, and it will suffice for him who understands. Furthermore, so number one, as we've learned, that yes, from the darkness can come tremendous light. Second of all, we're going to quote another scary passage. Why do I share it's a scary passage? Because this passage. This passage is from Deuteronomy 28.47. Anyone familiar where that's from where that is? Deuteronomy 
847 is the section which talks about all the curses. Let's quickly look inside. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28. 47. Yeah. It's basically smack in the middle of all the negative curses. Just to read you the, the Moses warning. And then it goes in about disease, starvation, war, failure, frustration, exile, destitution, defeat. In the middle of all this, it says, Since you do not serve God, your God, with joy and with heartfelt gladness, when you had an abundance of everything. The why, is all the, why are these negative things happening? Because when you were happy, you didn't serve God. When you had what you needed, you didn't serve God. But again, the Arizal came and he said a very powerful but a scary message. He says, don't, don't. If you, the passage is not just telling you that Hashem is, was dis, is disappointed when in times of good we don't serve Him. No, the passage is much, saying much more. The Torah is telling us, Since you did not serve God your God, not in times of happiness, with happiness. Meaning you could be serving God fully. You could be doing everything you need to do. But if it's without joy, Even if we're doing everything we need to do, but we're lacking the joy, we're lacking the excitement, then Moshe is being very strict with us in Deuteronomy 28.47 and telling us that's not okay. Some of the studies are showing us that unfortunately when we have these issues of assimilation, etc., and, and, and children not following their parents' footsteps. A lot of this is coming from parents not showing joy in Judaism. When you're keeping Shabbos, is it a stress? Is it like, Hashem told me I need to do this? Well, then I don't want to do it. If I'm the child. If, you're, if this is just a stressful lifestyle, and I've heard this from many children, they say, I just don't want this. It's just a stress. It's a headache. I don't want to be involved in this. Are we serving God with love? Or we're doing what He says, we're meticulous. But we're lacking that joy. Let's see that inside. Furthermore, Scripture states it explicitly because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness. And everyone is familiar with the commentary of the Arizal on this verse. Again, the, the Arizal says that even if you did everything fully, but you were lacking the joy, then Moshe is telling us that, unfortunately, that is not a method of success, to say nicely. So joy is a prerequisite. Is is joy is most important. 
Can sadness Can sadness bring gain? Yes. But we certainly need to control and limit the sadness. We have to have joy. Dr. Yosef, what, what's, your, what's on your mind? I, I feel like there's a big question brewing. When they, when they read that passage from Deuteronomy, yeah, and with all the curses, they yeah. read it very softly. The, 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 the Torah, whoever's reading through the Torah, they read it very softly. Yeah. Um, and you read it. You read it fast and quietly. That's the custom. Because I don't. Want, I don't want you to have to suffer through it. <laughs> no, literally, you need to hear it. But we're not going to spend time on it. Hashem said these, but literally the custom is you do it fast. I, I guess my question is this: If they want you to be happy, yeah, um, all these curses and everything would have just the opposite effect. I mean, it's you know that um, sure you'd be happy. There's a cartoon which says something like. Um, uh, the, the, the beatings are going to continue until morale improves. But what I'm saying is, um, I, I, I mean, it, if, if, the, if the goal is to get people to be happy or to focus on that, then, then um, but they have this whole list of, of, of awful things that are going to happen, that are going to happen to you, if you say if you didn't, if you weren't happy, wouldn't they have the opposite effect? I mean, it, it's not. It doesn't seem like it would lead to happiness. Well, they're trying to I provide an incentive to not. To let, let me repeat the question first, Doctor. If I'm if I'm understanding the question clearly, your question is that seemingly saying ninety-eight curses for one who doesn't serve God. Is not going to bring out happiness. It's going to bring out sadness. So, do you believe that having law and order, reward and punishment, brings out sadness in people? Like, if I tell you that if you do such and such, I'll reward you, but if you do such and such, I'll punish you, is that going to bring out sadness by somebody? Because there are curses in the Torah, mm -hmm. which I'll share a story about that momentarily, but more importantly, there's a ton of reward. Remember, God has made it so, He's made 613 simple methods of reward. Like just picking up bags for an elderly person and helping them put it in their wagon, or you know, calling your mom once a week, every day and just saying hi. These, these bring you eternal life. They're simple and free, sometimes, if, if your phone bill isn't too expensive. But, so God has brought much more good, but there, are, there is punishment. So, do, so again, my question to you is, do you feel that that's going to scare someone if you have a good balance? <clears throat> Well, um, you know, if, if this particular part of, uh, uh, I, I guess it's uh, Devarim, yeah. um, 
they do talk about the blessings. Yes. But if you look at the amount, I mean, the, the, the number of paragraphs that deal with the blessings, they're not as much as the, as the curses. The curses yes. are many, many more. Yes. So, so, I'm, so I mean, you can say, wow, there's a, there's a balance. Okay. But, but it looks like the, the balance is... So let me, let me jump ahead for a moment. I hear your question. I'm going to tell you a deeper answer. I'm going to jump to the deeper answer. The deeper answer, though, means that I need to tell you, I need to read to you a story. One moment. Let me see if I can find a story. Would this be an opportune time to make a comment? Sure. You used a bad example. Calling your mother is both reward and punishment. Okay, I don't see, I wanted to read it to you. Nonetheless. Ah, oh, here it is, I found it. The Alter Rebbe himself, the first Chabad Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, was the regular Torah reader. He would always read the Torah. Once he was away from Liyajne on the Shabbos of Parsha Savo, the Parsha when you read all the curses, and the Mittler Rebbe, his son, then not yet bar mitzvah heard the Torah, re the Torah reading from another. His anguish at the curses in the Tochacha section of admonition caused him so much heartache that on Yom Kippur the Alter Rebbe doubted whether his son would be able to fast. Okay, so again, to repeat, the Alter Rebbe would always read the Torah. One time he wasn't there, his son heard the Torah from another, and all of a sudden his son understood that there's serious curses here. And it caused him heartache, so much heartache, that uh, many, a few weeks later, his father was still in doubt if he could fast on Yom Kippur. So they turned to the Mittler Rebbe, they turned to the, sec to the Alter Rebbe's son, and they said, Don't you hear this Parsha every year? Oh, it's new now. He replied, when father reads, one hears no curses. Mm. What does that mean? When father reads, one hears no curses. Mm. It doesn't mean that he read it fast, nobody could hear it. These children tune out their parents. <laughs> That's a fair, fair answer. <clears throat> what it means is, that we're taught that the curses are the deepest part of the Torah. We often learn, and we're actually going to learn this momentarily in Tanya within the next few chapters, that the greatest energies of Hashem cannot come down in a revealed way. 
the greatest energies of Hashem are too great to come down in a revealed way. Let me give you an example, a, a true story. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, let me, let me see if I can find it in here. Okay, I don't see it here. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai once sent his son to go get a blessing from one of his colleagues. And he went. And the son came back to his father very upset. He said, he said, my father, the man you sent me to, he just gave me curses. Story printed in the Talmud. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, he gave you the greatest blessings. And he explained to his son how the curses, what he understood were curses, were really blessings. The same thing is with this, with this section of the Torah. We're actually taught that within these sections, these two sections, the two different parts of the Torah where we, where we read some curses, within these sections of the Torah is actually hidden the greatest secrets of the Torah. So to answer you, your question, Dr. Yosef, we can look at these as curses, or we can look and say that these curses are just an exterior shell covering over the goodness of God. Literally. It sounds Kabbalistic, but it is Kabbalistic. <laughs> ah, <in> that way. <laughs> Did that perhaps help, Dr. Yosef? Yeah. Okay, so to bring it back, we have to constantly be happy. And I see we're coming to our closing time. So let's try and put this together. And this will, this is a, we're in a good place. No matter how much we're going to try, we can have all the tools in the box if we are not energetic and happy, we can easily lose. Because let's remember, we are one person with two people fighting over us, as we've learned in the, in the early chapters of Tanya. We, there's one person, but there are two different armies trying to fight over who that person is going to be. The evil is awake and well. We have to make sure that we are also awake and well. And if we're going to be sad or down, that's not going to help us. It's only going to bring negativity. Sadness, yes, at times has a gain. The, gain. the gain is that from the sadness you're able to see light. But, sadness itself is not good. And we went so far to say that even if you do everything correctly, you served God in every single way possible, but it was lacking joy, that is not okay. So in summary, we could be doing everything right, but if we're missing the joy, we're missing life. And that is why we say that Hasidus brings meaning. What does it mean? Maimonides, if you're familiar with Maimonides, we say that we are a personal, meaningful, and empowering school. This is what we say. And, and if you want to know what personal means, you could ask Dr. Yosef and Morisarat, because they get to participate in that by their volunteering. But if you want to know what, what meaningful means, meaningful means exactly what we're learning now. Meaningful means that whatever we teach to the students, we want to make sure that it's full of life, full of joy. Because if we're going to do everything, but we're not going to give over that joy, then Judaism becomes a burden, life becomes a burden. And then we, uh, we gave over a bad message to our children. So let's conclude by saying, where's the joy? Right? Simcha, let's uh, do a dance for us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, any questions? Yes, David. 
if I may presume, there are two points that I think need to be emphasized. First, and I've derived this from my studies, so I suppose my observations are personal. We must never assume that the citra or the evil is in any way even remotely equivalent of the force of Hashem. And uh, that's another religion in the Middle East completely. What we have is the fact that we can exercise free will. That's the purpose. And the second is that in regard to our own particular sect, um, the Arizal and the concept of light becomes extremely important, not only in the physical sense, but rather it represents uh, the term enlightenment as opposed to physical light. And that is an overwhelming and, and always present principle of uh, Lubavitch Hasidism. Thank you, David. Are there any other questions or comments or concerns? Yes, yes. What about the clinical aspects of depression? No, no, I'm, I'm so happy. I'm so happy you brought that up. If someone, that's a great question, if someone has a clinical, if, if we're talking about a medical issue where the person's um, body brings him to depression, then that's a different conversation. That's one that they have to work with the tools that Hashem has given this world today to overcome that. And um, that person is, God forbid, not evil. And the, unfortunately, he's being controlled, perhaps, by evil. Meaning the depression clearly is a very negative and bad thing. But, but correct, if, if that is the way that Hashem created him, then he's a great and holy person, or she is a great and holy person, and they have to do whatever's, whatever you know, they're able to to overcome that. But God forbid, we are not at all saying that um, they are bad in the slightest. Thank you for bringing that up. I, that was something on my mind. The depressed person telling you, it's the worst thing ever. If they're depressed, they can't get out of it. Depression is terrible. Absolutely. And, and, and unfortunately, it does. Be worse. It's a real thing. The P. Yeah. Hugh? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, the bottom wow, depression is <laughs> different levels of charity. Yeah. And you're supposed to, of course, give with joy. But even if you give without joy, you still get some credit for it. Yes. So here... But, but that's the lowest level. Yeah, yeah, it's low. And lowest level is, is, is very low. We learned that if you give someone a million dollars, but you're upset, it's almost as if you gave nothing. So it's very serious. And however, if you give someone a dollar with happiness, with a smile, you know, so that... Uh, did that answer the question? I'm not sure. I jumped ahead. Yeah. Are there any other questions? You ever hear about faking happiness? Faking happiness. Fake it till you make it. It'll make you happy by faking happiness. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a wonderful evening. <laughs>